Today's episode of Setting the Edge is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash setting edge. That's audibletrial.com slash setting edge. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Once again, that's audibletrial.com slash setting edge. Episode 76 of the Seven Years Podcast. I'm Justice Mosqueda. You can find me on Twitter at Pablo Strescobar. I'm here with my co-host Charles <laughs> McDonald. You can find him on Twitter at McDraft2. Say what's up the people, Chip. What's up? I think it's been like three weeks since we said we were going to come back one week later for the NFC South preview, but we're, we're going to get all this done before the season starts. We just can't promise the good, like anything. The good news is that nothing has changed. Yeah, nothing's changed. We have uh, no schedule, no structure, no planning. I, like we just decided to record this. It's one thirty Eastern Coast time now, we're East Coast time now, and we decided to record this like twenty minutes ago. So, uh, yeah. So we got an NFC South preview last week. We hit AFC South. So obviously that means we're gonna hit on the Falcons, Panthers, Bucks, and Saints, the dirty team from New Orleans. Uh, might as well just dive right in. Do you want to go first to worst or worst to first? Uh, I have a the Saints are lads page open, so I'm just gonna assume we're gonna talk about them first. So. All right, let's go into the Saints. What's their uh, win total that you have? Uh, nine wins, which is really hot. Like people just fundamentally don't understand win totals. Where like everyone basically is projected to go ten and six and six and ten, and if you you know if, if someone wins five games the under is going to hit every single time if someone wins 11 games the over is going to hit every single time with like the exception being like the patriots who last year i think last year they set the highest win total record ever with uh 12 and 4 i wanted to say so and i think last year was two was uh when the jets were at four and a half wins i think and that was a record low so m- most win projections are just going to have everyone between 10 and 6 and 6 and 10 live with that and take your shots there but we have New Orleans at um, nine and seven. I've seen it around anywhere from like uh, nine and a half to like eight and a half. There were eight numbers early, but I think all of those are done. So I would say nine's probably what you're gonna see on most books too. Yeah, I, obviously, you know the Saints. They had one of the best offenses in the league last year. Just looking at the numbers that we had in our weekly update series, they were first. I mean, they were second in adjusted net yards per ten value. Second in sack percentage value, fifth in tackle for loss percentage value, first in yards per rush value, second in points per play value, ninth in turnover percentage value, first in yards per play value, and fifth in first down percentage value. So this was one of the best like elite offenses in the league last year. Their offensive line I probably gets really slept on just in terms of, like they they don't really allow any plays in the backfield. Uh, we all know about Alvin Kamara and his explosive rookie year. So I think looking forward, it's just like can they keep this up because I, there's probably going to be some regression. I mean, when you're uh, like that far ahead in terms of adjusting the yards per attempt value, they were a thousand yards better than your average passing offense. So like, there's probably going to be a little bit of regression there. But with the rest of the team, I mean, if the offensive line stays healthy, there's no reason to think that they probably won't be one of the best teams, other one of the best offenses in the league uh, again next year. Yeah, I would say that the big, the big thing that concerns me about new orleans offense and really it's the only thing that concerns me because 
I mean, if nothing else, Benjamin Watson, like, the dude's been doing it for, like, 15 years. We know yeah. what the hell we're going to get out of Benjamin Watson. He's going to be fairly consistent. Um, at receiver, they're pretty deep. You know, Michael Thomas, Ted Ginn, Cameron Meredith, they just drafted Traquan Smith in the top 100. Um, like you said, their offensive line is, like, fortified across the board. Like, their weakest dude is probably Larry Warford, right? And, like, he's not bad at all. Um, so I would say that probably their biggest – the biggest thing that concerns me for their offense is just the fact that Mark Ingram is going to be away from the facility for a full month. And at his age, we've seen that become an issue, right? Where like a Bruce Irvin comes in his rookie year, um, gets eight sacks, and then off of off of suspension basically does nothing the next year. Uh, and then like has to get forced to play a different position. Um, we saw this with uh, – what's his name? Uh, DeMarcus – I'm spacing on his last name because I'm a doofus. The pass rusher from Dallas? Uh, DeMarcus Lawrence. DeMarcus Lawrence, I think he had something like eight sacks. Then his very next year, he got suspended, basically did nothing. And then the next year, he led the league in uh, in sacks, right? So, like, suspensions are not anything to really be slept on, considering the fact that, like, you physically have to be away from facility, like, away from the training room, away from lifting weights, away from practice time. Like, it's not just you don't play in games, right? Um, and then the second thing would be that Alvin Kamara, like, hasn't ever really been a number one running back since like high school because even when you look at his stuff at like tennessee um like the texas a&m game was like the big game for alvin kamara at tennessee right josh dobbs led the team in carries that game like alvin kamara only had something like 11 carries or 12 carries or something like that so for him to go from like a guy who's getting you know fewer than 10 carries a game to a guy who's supposed to be getting you know in a scenario where a guy like Boston Scott or Jonathan Williams or Trey Edmonds is, are the running backs behind you is getting, you know, 20 carries a game. Uh, that's a pretty big jump for a guy who hasn't ever done it since probably like 2013, 2012. Yeah. And. Wow. That just actually. You just cut mute. out. Yeah. I just click the mute. <laughs> you just did it again. Jesus. Okay. I'll just, I'll just maybe edit that part out. But uh, what I was about to say is I think what's interesting about Kamara that kind of didn't get talked about that much is, like, he didn't really finish the season that strong. I, I mean, part of that could be due to injury because he did get hurt in the uh, Thursday night game versus Atlanta. Like, Deion Jones gave him a pretty good hit. But, like, you know, he, he, did, he like, just straight up, he didn't finish the season that strong. So I don't know if that's going to be something that carries over into next year, but... I, I think it's definitely a concern. And, you know, like you said, this is a guy that's never, ever had uh, a workload where he's the number one guy. He's the lead back. So if Mark Ingram, you know, if Mark Ingram's going to miss the four, first four games. And let's say Mark Ingram comes back and he's not playing well because he hasn't been there. He hasn't been practicing. Uh, that could be like an interesting situation for the Saints. Like it kind of feels the, the like the Saints, their running back situation has a pretty low floor, but a high ceiling this year. And, you just don't really know what you're going to get from it until we get to like playing the game. So on the flip side of the ball, though, the Saints, they finally broke their streak of having one of the worst defenses in the league. Uh, adding Marshawn Lattimore and Marcus Williams was huge for the past defense. They jumped from, I think, like 30th in the just net yards per attempt value on defense to ninth last year, eighth in sack percentage value. So this was a team that really improved on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, Cam Jordan had a case to be the Defensive Player of the Year award. He's one of the elite defensive ends in the league. So I just think when you look at the Saints defense and you have just really a lot of young guys, especially in the secondary, that are going to be coming back 
next year that played well as rookies. And uh, I know that I, I'm, I mean, I'm pretty high on the Sheldon Rankins breakout season. I think uh, for Pro Football Focus, he was like one of the best interior pass rushers in the league on a per snap basis. So uh, that's going to be a pretty fun defense to watch. They just have a lot of young pieces uh, that played well last year and have room to get better too. Yeah, I think I think we both like this defensive line more than other people, and like not for the reasons that other people would, because like they just they traded two first round picks for Marcus Davenport, right? But I think we're probably of the opinion that Davenport, at least immediately, is going to be the fourth best guy on that line, because like yeah. we're both pretty big fans of David Onyemata too, who's yeah, like a guy who came in from Canada who no one talks about at all. He was a second year player last year, started to break out, so he's like their nose tackle, but. They they definitely split reps there. You know what I mean between him and uh, what's his name, Tyler Davison. Yeah. So I, I think that front four of just Cameron Jordan, uh, Sheldon Rankins, David Onyemata, and Marcus Davenport, who like broke his hand or something, but it's like some some minor surgery that he has to have. I'm not really too worried about it at this point. With a guy like Alex Okafor coming off the bench, who like he had a breakout year, blew out his Achilles, resigned with the team, and then you know Marcus Davenport is probably going to push him to being you know a guy who comes off the bench which that's fine if you could get a guy like uh alex okafor off the bench like that's better than most team situations right now yeah was, um kevin crawley say, the cornerback okay go I, I, I was just about to say like if alex okafor can get back to the level he was at last year then that's one of the best like trio defensive ends in the league probably that's like some seattle shit when they really had like uh averill and like bennett and like uh frank clark really like cooking you know what i mean where yeah. they could just throw him out on third down they'd just be fine um at cornerback i would say like ken crawley was like definitely a liability for him but they signed patrick robinson right like they went out and bought patrick robinson which like who boy if he, he if patrick robinson can play at the level that he did last year for the saints like that honestly is like a pretty suffocating defense considering who they have in the front front four because like a guy like onyamata he's not like he's not snacks right he's not snacks harrison where he's just like eating guys up as you know a nose tackle like he really is like trying to get to the quarterback and be a penetrator which is the big difference between him and davison is what why they like rotate a bit but a guy like onyamata who can do that from you know a shade from a one that that's a pretty rare type of body that like not every team has access to so like in pass rushing situations where you, you have to decide like can we bring you know onyamata off the bench as a fresh guy or like should we bring in Okafor or should we leave Sheldon Rankins off the, on the field? Like having those options on third down is pretty, uh, I guess would be just frustrating for an offensive coordinator. The big thing on defense, I think, is like their linebackers still just fucking suck, man. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a disaster zone there. But, like but DeMar- you- De- Mario Davis is going to start for him for sure. But then like who is like AJ Klein, Alex uh, Anzalone. I think that's how you say his name. Anzalone. Like, Manta like Teos. Yeah, Manti Teo still kicking around. Holo, holy Kikaha, like, flexes between, like, a Sam linebacker and, like, a pass rusher every once in a while still. And then they have Craig Robertson. Like, there's just a lot of, like, just bad bodies at the linebacker position, honestly, for the team. Yeah, but it, I feel like you can be okay with that if your defensive line is secondary ball out. So, I, I guess, like, that's the hope for them this year. And, look, I mean, they have the talent and potential to do, which is, you know, you got to see them take that next step. But obviously, first year 
uh, signs for guys like Lattimore and Marcus Williams, and even uh, another guy like Von Bell took his step in the second year last year. So, you know, you have young guys in the secondary that look like they can grow into like upper echelon players on like in the league. So that's definitely a good place to be if you're New Orleans. I mean, we don't. Need, I mean, this is just a season preview, so we don't need to talk about the. I guess head scratching decision to trade a future first for Marcus Davenport, but uh, yeah, I mean, just looking for twenty eighteen, this defense looks like they're in pretty good shape outside of linebacker. Uh, what's the next thing? Yeah, you want so, to like, here's the other work? thing that I would say about the Saints is like the Saints, at least in my opinion, are easily a top five team in the league. I think the the one seeds in the NFC across the board, right, and then the Patriots are a clear tier of talent in football right now ahead of everyone else. So like even though the Saints are only like in a win total is projected to go one game over five hundred, it's not because of their lack of talent. It's probably because just the the fact that they have to play, you know, a fairly loaded NFC South, which if not in terms of top end talent, at least low end talent, like is like higher than anyone else in the league. And then they have to play the one season in the NFC. So a lot of a lot of their like nine projected wins has to do with who they have to play, not just who they are. Yep. Uh, so, over or under nine wins for the Saints? Ooh, I have to pick. That's a, that's a we're we'll switching both, it up this time. We'll both pick. Um, gun in my head, just over because Drew Brees the third best quarterback in NFL history. <laughs> Okay, a little self fighting in the hot take, sliding in the hot take. Yeah, I mean it, this is just a, it's a pretty brutal schedule they have, uh, this year. Don't you think so though? Yeah. yeah. No, I do, I do think it's a pretty brutal schedule. That's why I'm saying like, th- there are teams like I bet San Francisco is gonna hit the over on their win total and like win more games than like. You know, the Rams, the Vikings, the Saints, uh, the Eagles, they're probably going to win more games than at least one, maybe two of those, and still be a worse team than them, at least on ter- in terms of, like, on-field talent. And the difference is going to be them playing a four-seed NFC schedule and these other teams playing a one-seed NFC schedule. Yeah. Um, I think the Packers is a similar type of thing where it's like you're a third-place schedule and you now have Aaron Rodgers back, and that's why their win total is ahead of the Saints. I don't think that they're a better team than the Saints at all. But they, if you ask me if they're going to win more games, I would probably say yes. Yeah. Uh, so, but I think if there's a silver lining for the Saints, they, you know, they're going to miss Mark Ingram for the first month of the season. But for that month, they have uh, Tampa Bay at home, Cleveland at home. They travel to Atlanta, and then they travel to the Giants. So there's, I mean, it's still very possible that they could come out of that stretch three or one, three and one, or four and zero. Oh, so. Uh, uh, I mean, and then after their bye week in week six, it really starts to pick up. They go at Ravens, at Vikings, Rams, Bengals, Eagles, Falcons, Cowboys, Bucks, Panthers, Steelers, Panthers. So after the bye, it gets real. But for that first you know month or so of the season, it's definitely manageable without Mark Ingram. I think I'm gonna go over for their win total. Uh, I just really like this team. Uh, not you know, I, I hate them, but they're a, a talented squad. So uh, the next team, Atlanta Falcons. Yes, sir. Uh, all right. So my beloved Atlanta Falcons, I'm I hate myself so much because I've really I've started to drink the Kool Aid on this offense like big time. Uh, just because like I, I I had to do uh the Falcons chapter for the Football Outsiders Almanac, which you should definitely buy next month when it drops. I think it drops like towards the end of July. Uh, you should definitely buy that because a lot of blood, sweat, and tears went into uh the chapters that we need to write, and our pal Derek Classen is working on it too. So definitely support us. Uh. They, so they had the least amount of drives in the league last year. 
they had, I think, the eighth fewest plays in the league last year. And, like, on a per-play basis, they were still uh, a pretty good offense. Uh, like, they were fourth in yards per play, 12th in points per play, which wasn't great, but they were second in yards per drive and seventh in points per drive. They just didn't really have too many opportunities. Now, I, I just don't know, like... I'm just I'm kind of believing in myself. I'm believing in the team that they're telling myself that this offense is just kind of like too talented to fail. And if they just get more reps than they did last year, it should probably even itself out. So, I mean, they did have a pretty crappy red zone offense, but uh, I don't know. It's just so talented on paper. I, I, I can't really see a scenario where they're worse than they were last year if they can get the plays off. Yeah, and I would say that, you know, they're in a situation where the consistency on offense like they're really not losing any of these guys even though they're like performing outside of their you know their gourds right over the last couple of years because really like so they they bought brandon fusco who's probably an improvement at right guard and that yeah. was probably their their biggest issue from last year's team i would say their biggest hole this offseason would probably have been nose tackle because don terry poe left but their biggest issue on the 2017 team would have been right guard but they bought a guard um, and then on offense, really, the only other switch that they made was they let Taylor Gabriel walk, and then they drafted a wide receiver in the first round who's, like, got to be able to be a wide receiver three immediately and then, like, develop into a wide receiver two, which, like, for a first-round wide receiver, like, we see teams have just crazy expectations for r- rookie wide receivers, right, all the time. I feel like for a first-round wide receiver, that's a pretty good landing spot is to be, you know, your number three wide receiver in this offense developed to a number two, and then you're probably just never going to overtake Julio Jones, right? Like we're years away from you taking away over for Julio Jones. So on offense, like I I really don't know what you can say other than like, yeah, Matt Matt Ryan's been really good for the past two years, and if that keeps going and there's no reason why – there's no reason to show why it wouldn't keep going, then this team's probably going to be really competitive. Yeah, uh, so I know, I know, like I know, I complained about Sark so much last year, but just he's like, awful to be fair. Like, yeah, he I mean, he, ran, they ran, they ran like a flood concept in the red zone with like an isolated fullback. So, yeah, uh, I, I mean, it, it's hard to kind of get some of that situational stuff out of his head, out of your head, but like that, that offense is just so talented. Uh, I mean, they don't, they don't have any holes, so. There's just too much top end talent, I think, for them to be bad. And if they can just run way more plays than they did last year, because like the thing is, not were they just last in the league in terms of the amount of drives they ran, they were like 20 drives below the the average. So they just really did not have a lot of opportunities. Like some of that was self inflicted with just ridiculously stupid turnovers. Uh, some of that was like defense related, special teams related. But if they just kind of like regress to the mean in terms of like the plays that they run, I, I think that they'll be okay. Uh, on the flip side of the ball, like I, I don't, I, I Atlanta's defense is something that I have not been able to figure out at all, just because they were uh, eighth in points per play value, 13th in yards per play value, but they were 28th in turnover percentage value and 28th in first down percentage value. So this is like very much a bend, don't break defense. They gave up a lot of first downs. Uh, they were on the field for the most amount of time uh, last season in the league. And it's so weird with that lens defense because depending on what metric you look at, you could come away thinking they're good or they're bad. I mean, if you look at stuff like uh, 
Pro Football Reference has a defensive rating system. They, you could they, that has them as the third best defense in the NFC last year. I probably wouldn't agree with that, but then you look at something like DVOA that has them as uh, one of the worst defenses in the league last year, which I definitely don't agree with. So I, I guess like they're somewhere in the middle, and it's just kind of hard to I guess get a numbers perspective on where this team projects to on defense. But I, I, I like the talent that they have. I think their back seven is pretty talented, and I think with the defensive line, it just you kind of need. Vic Beasley to step up. We know Grady Jarrett's going to do his thing and then figuring out who plays next to him. Do you, do you think they got a little too cute with some of the things that they were trying to do? Like, like I'm, I'm thinking about, like, Jack Crawford and, like, Courtney Upshaw kind of, like, flexing inside as guys who are, like, incredibly undersized in terms of, like, 20 pounds lighter than, like, guys like Aaron Donald, right? Who would have been consi- – who is, like, considered, like, uh, Courtney an undersized Upshaw, defensive tackle. Courtney Upshaw got fat as hell. He, yeah, he he did get fat. He did get fat. He's like a, he's like three hundred pounds. Jack Crawford though. So like Jack Crawford, and then like the Vic Beasley thing where they like moved him to like a hybrid role, right? Where yeah, it's like because Duke Riley got Vic there. Beasley like Vic Beasley like rushes the passer, and he's not really good at anything else. You should probably let him rush the passer. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, I think what happened last year though with that was uh, so Duke Riley got hurt, and then, and Vic was begged up too during the season, and they kind of got to a spot where. Like the only linebackers they could play were Dion and Devondre, so I think like Vic just kind of had to get in the mix there a little bit. But they're they're uh, they already said like a few months ago they're moving him back to full time defensive end this year. So hopefully that helps because, like you said, all he can really do is rush the passer. But if he can you know get to his peak there, that's fine because we all know like the athletic skills that he has and like what he can do is just kind of a matter of uh, of putting it all together. But I, I do think that this is, like, a really talented defensive line, especially, like, if Tack comes along, right? I think we saw flashes of Tack. Especially towards the end of the season. Of Beasley, right. I think we've seen flashes of Beasley mostly from the year before. But if we get, you know, Tack, Beasley, a guy like Brooks Reed coming off the bench as a third pass rusher, which, like, people will joke about that. But Brooks Reed basically since that playoff run two years ago has been, like, actually, like, super solid. Yeah. Um. And then we got, you know, a nose tackle rotation between, like, Dedrin uh, Sanat. Is that how you say his name? Yeah, I think it's, uh, U- it's Dedrin Sanat. Dedrin. Like the USF yeah. defensive tackle. He's good, then, dude. Uh, I like him. Yeah, he's good. He was a big Josh Norris guy. And then uh, Terrell McLean, who they signed uh, as a free agent. So I would assume McLean is going to start. And then Sanat is going to, you know, rotate in. And then under tackle, like, Grady Jarrett led or was, like, top five in tackles at the line for like interior players last year. Yeah, I think so, he, I think that, he that's was, a that's a pretty solid front front seven like rotation. Yeah, front four rotation. Yeah, uh, it, it's it's the only thing like Poe played seventy five percent of the snaps last year, so like just on a numbers basis, that's a huge loss. So right, like the no, the nose tackle situation definitely was their biggest need going into draft weekend, and then yeah. they signed like McLean was at post draft signing. I want to say right. Yeah, he was. Uh, he was he got signed during the rookie minicamp, uh, like right after the draft. So you know you have, I, I, so you have like you said, McLean's, uh, Sanat, and Crawford, and I guess they're just gonna throw those three guys at the spot next to Grady Jarrett and see how it all pans out. But you know the potential's there for for that to work, especially if Sanat plays well for his rookie year, which he has potential to. So uh, this this back like I, I really like the, what they've done in the secondary. I I don't know how much Isaiah Oliver is going to play this year just because Brian Poole has pretty much established I was going to say that that was the question that I had because Poole is, Poole is like 
I, I feel like Brian Poole probably means nothing to non-Atlanta fans, but he's like actually kind of a cool story. So he was a guy who was recruited by Quinn, right, when he was a DC at Florida. And like he basically just played like slot corner for Florida when all these other guys like uh, – he was like the same class as like Hargraves, right? Yeah. But like Hargraves was getting drafted on like – yeah, so, like, all those guys were getting drafted, but, like, Brian Poole was kind of viewed as, like, he was a slot corner in college, therefore, like, he's not worth a draft pick because that's traditionally how it works, right? Like, slot corners in college just aren't getting drafted in the NFL. But then, like, Quinn brought him in as a as a undrafted free agent, and then he's just kind of been getting all those slot reps over the last two years. So that was my big question, too, was, like, how fast does, like, Oliver even see playing time? Because if Poole is there, then, like, they're kind of locked in at at cornerback with Robert Alford and Desmond Trufant already, and I don't really see Oliver tra- like transitioning to safety. And they kind of are already there with, you know, Keon O'Neill and uh, Ricardo Allen. So it, they're in kind of in a weird spot. I think we talked about this after the draft, where it's very clear that they're like developing as like a program, right? First and foremost, where like their first their first round pick is a third wide receiver immediately. Their second-round pick is a cornerback who might not see playing time. Their third-round pick is a rotational nose tackle, right? So it's not like they're drafting guys for, like, immediate need. They're at a situ- they're in a space right now where they're, like, safe enough in terms of roster construction where they're, like, really draft and develop mode right now. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think I'm, I'm pretty excited about what Calvin really can do this year just because he's going to see, like, so much single coverage. Uh, I mean, you got Julio. Sanu and then Freeman and Coleman coming out of the backfield, Hooper at tight end. Like, there's a good, I feel like there's going to be a lot of opportunity for him to kind of ball out this year. I don't know like what his volume is going to look like, but just in terms of, I guess, uh, efficiency, I, I think he should be like right up there with all like the top receivers in the league this year because he's going to have so many opportunities to get wide the fuck open. Uh, it, w- it, wouldn't surpri- it wouldn't surprise me if he had like a juju type of season. Yeah. Right. Right. And like the, something like that, I think is like probably his peak as a rookie. But um, that's, that's very good. Like Juju was averaging what, like seventeen yards a catch and yeah. like ten yards a target or something like that. Just in crazy, just crazy numbers for for anyone, let alone a rookie wide receiver. Yeah, I think like Juju led the league in terms of the yard per target value for almost the entire season. So he's a you know if, if really has that season, I, I would imagine Atlanta is is uh, doing pretty well on offense. Uh, so over under nine wins for the Falcons. Where are you at? Uh, push, Steve Sarkeesian. Push. All right, I'm I'm gonna go over. I I think that the Falcons and the Saints are both heads and shoulders above uh, the Panthers and the Bucks, like where they are right now. So I'm gonna go over for the Falcons and the Saints. Uh, next team, Carolina Panthers. Free Taylor Moten, right? First and foremost, uh, he's their best player. He's their best offensive tackle, and he's their third tackle right now. And he, they're starting like uh, Jeremiah Searles at left guard instead of him. No, after I, they they're left. starting Amini Silatalu at left guard. Um, Jesus fucking Christ, man. Yeah, I mean, so I, I hate this team so much. So like, can Cam Newton? So like, just first overall, first first and foremost. Between Matt Khalil and whichever turnstile is going to line up at left guard if Taylor Moten doesn't win that job, like, can Cam Newton ever turn his backside to the left and feel safe? No. It's just going to be awful, man. 
Like this is just I don't know. No, and the thing I is, hate, the I, th- hate, I hate this way the team, the way this team is constructed. It doesn't make any sense. And the thing with the Panthers is, like Andrew Norwell, that loss is huge. Especially like if if they don't plan on playing Taylor Moten this year, which you know based on Ron Rivera, like history, I guess like that wouldn't be that surprising. Uh, the drop off from Andrew Norwell, who's arguably the best guard in the league, to. Uh, well, Amini Silatalu, who gave up six or seven negative plays in the first half versus Atlanta in Week 17, like there, there's like four plays in the first half where Grady Jarrett just ragdolls him. Like he doesn't, I, I don't think he's an NFL caliber player. It just doesn't. I, I don't understand what they're doing and why they have so much confidence in some of the players that they have. Like just because you made the playoffs doesn't mean that you shouldn't be like looking for better ways to kind of upgrade your offensive line. If we're going to talk about. <laughs> Uh, what was it, Jer- Jeremy Searles, Jeremiah Searles, something like that? Yeah, so, Jeremiah Searles. So if you go back to 2015 and look at the last play of the game that ended the Redskins-Vikings game, it was a sack on a, on a pass that Sam Bradford was trying to throw. Jeremiah Searles, I think he's at, he's at that left or right tackle. I want to say he's at left tackle, and he does not get a hand on Preston Smith. Like, he does not touch him at all. And, like, he, they might as well just come out with four off the linemen on the play and just said, fuck, left tackle. Like, that's how bad he was for that play, and that's really how bad he was whenever he had to play for Minnesota. So I, I don't understand what their plan here is by getting bad tackles. It looks like they're probably going to give Daryl Williams an extension or at least work on it, and I think that we're both on the same page of him having one of the most fraudulent all-pro seasons Ever, uh, I just don't think he was good last year. He's, he's just he just gets a lot of help. It's the right. same thing with like the Jack Conklin thing when he was with Tennessee. What was it two years ago when he was a rookie and he made like a Pro Bowl or whatever, and everyone was super excited about Jack Conklin and they like anointed him as like the best tackle out of like the Tunsil, um, Ronnie Stanley class, which like Tunsil sucks now. So, but yeah, that's, um, fine. that's fine to say. <laughs> but I, I still take Ronnie Stanley over. Uh, Conklin, but like Conklin was just getting a lot of help, like be it from like the backfield or tight ends. I feel like Darrell Williams is kind of in that situation too, which like, okay, like now you have to help your right tackle, and your left tackle is also bad, and your left guard is also bad, and you don't have wide receivers who can separate, and your top running back is a guy who's not really like a volume running back. Like he's as much of a pass catcher as he is a running back. I think uh, I looked this up the other day. The Panthers had like 33. Uh, rushes inside the 10 last year. Do you know how many were by Christian McCaffrey? Uh, I would, I'll guess four. You you nailed it. Four. Like that's like 10%. Like 10% of their of their carries inside the 10 were made up by Christian McCaffrey. That's not great. Like that that tells you what they think of him, right? I feel like. Yeah. And their their offense is just so interesting to look at just from a numbers perspective. So for our numbers for the update, they are 21st on adjusting the yards per attempt value. So they pretty much had like the 21st ranked passing offense in the league. Uh, But they were 13th in points per play and finished pretty much like just behind the Falcons in terms of like on a per play basis, the amount of points they scored. But they were 19th in yards per play. So I don't really know how you make sense of that. I I, I think that what's interesting about the, the Panthers is Cam carries so much for that offense, even if his his like raw stats aren't very pretty. Uh, I mean, 
I, I think he's phenomenal, and he pretty much is that offense. I mean, you can look at uh, what Telvin Smith said uh, for Cam's top 100 uh, bit on NFL Network the other day. He said pretty much the top of Panthers, all you have to do is just contain the quarterback because no one else on that offense should scare you, uh, especially if Greg Olson is hurt and he's going to be back this year. But, you know, old guys coming off injuries, that's always – a little bit shaky and now you're relying on a rookie receiver and Curtis Samuel coming off an injury as well too like I just don't really know where this offense is and also like with Norv Turner he, I don't, he's never really had uh, personnel like this and I just I don't know how this offense fits what Norv Turner is trying to do because if you're going to go like deep drops with uh, Matt Khalil, Amini Silatalu or Jeremiah Searles and Darrell Williams like you're pretty much just asking Cam to end up in the hospital. And it's just, it's not, I don't, I just don't think their offense is going to be cohesive or pretty this year, especially during the early parts of the season as they're trying to figure out what they have. Like on paper, you would say that like this team, like personnel wise, just, just purely by like, okay, they're kind of limited by pass protection. They have like a move running back. They have like a really, really good tight end. Right. And then they have like a big body receiver and then DJ Moore, who's like, is kind of like Christian McCaffrey in that, like, he's half receiver, half tight end-ish, right? Like, he could be, like, a jet guy, misdirection guy, end-around guy, right? You would look at, like, Gus Malzahn's, like, single-wing offense, right? And be like, just install that, right? Yeah. Or you would just be like, yeah, Devin Funches is going to be, like, the X receiver. And then, like, other than that, like, we're going to have to do, like, a bunch of, like, motion stuff and, like, option stuff, misdirection, jet stuff. Um. But my faith of, like, them doing anything innovative is, like, very low considering the fact that, like, how how old is North Turner? Is he, like, 60, 68 or something, I would say? Uh, he, He's got to be. I'm looking it up right now. He's born in 52, which means he's older than my grandfather. He's 66 years old. Good Lord. Yeah, so I, I don't think he's really going to learn any new tricks at this point. And his whole thing is based off of, like, the deep, the deep ball, right? Which, like... Okay, Carolina's like already doing that, but they I think they've proven that they don't have like the personnel to do it, right? We're like I feel like really where Carolina fails right now is like they really have no threat of like a quick game because their quick game guy is McCaffrey. And if you want to do it out of the backfield, fine, but you're going into a cluttered linebacker unit, right? Or if you split him out, then Cam Newton's an empty with awful pass protection. Or if you use two running backs, then you're telegraphing that Christian McCaffrey is going to be the go-to guy in a quick game. So they're kind of put in, like, a bind where they really have no quick game. So, like, their passing offense kind of does look like a 1980s passing offense, right? In that, like, they're going deep. What is being put on Cam Newton's plate is a lot, right? Um, which is why his stats, like, I, I think the big issue is that, like, with Cam, people bring up his stats and not, like, the level of difficulty of those stats, Right. Where I think like he's playing kind of like a different sport than a lot of other quarterbacks are. Yeah, uh, it, like he's been their best runner over. I mean, pretty much since he got drafted, I guess. But uh, it's just always funny to see that guys say that Cam Newton is carried by the running game when he pretty much is, he, he is their running he game. is their running game, especially last year. Uh, so 
you know, I think he's a phenomenal talent, probably from an efficiency standpoint, it won't be pretty for him, but I think the running all, will always counteract whatever passing statistical deficiency he has, even though I think he's obviously, I think he's an incredible passer too, so uh, I just want to see... He's a, like, he's, a, he's a really good deep passer, I just don't think that Carolina does enough with our quick game to like make their deep passing super efficient, which is why you get the stats that Cam has right now. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel about DJ Moore this year? I just, I don't, like, the more I think about, I, th- I think he's a good prospect, just because I feel like those guys who are the metric stars usually pan out and hit, especially with skilled players, but I just don't like the fit with Cam, because Cam doesn't do great in the short game, and I think that DJ Moore might struggle to get open deep, just because that wasn't really his game in Maryland. Yeah, I just don't have a lot of expectations for w- rookie wide receivers in general. Um, but I do think that, like, DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, Christian McCaffrey, you're sure spending a whole lot of picks on, like, the same type of guy, basically. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think, I guess Curtis, Curtis Samuel is going to be their primary receiver this year. You know, I, I think that, I think Christian McCaffrey started to figure out, like, towards the end of last year, or the Panthers figured out how they want to use him. But now you have a new offensive coordinator coming in and. Who like who was the closest guy that North Turner has ever had like Christian McCaffrey? Is Sproles? Sproles, yeah, yeah. He's, he's That's not... a, I mean, LT caught out of backfield plenty. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I, 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 I think I think Norv will be able to get McCaffrey open out of the backfield. Um, I just worry about everything else, right? Like, it, it, I mean, I guess so. Like Antonio Gates, Greg Olson, right? But is there like a peak Vincent Jackson on this team to like threaten teams deep or anything like that? I'm not I, sure. I guess Devin Funches is probably going to take that role, right? I guess, but I, mean, just I don't know. I don't, like I don't think that much of Devin Funches. Yeah, I, I don't think that much of Devin Funches, honestly. I, so. I think Funches is solid. Like, I, I think it's Funches is your he's number o- two. He's okay. He's okay, but if you don't have a number two or a number three receiver and Devin Funches is like clearly right. your number one, I, that's where I think you get in trouble. Agree. Yeah, I was, I was just about to say like he's a he's a like if he's your number two, you're feeling pretty good. If he's your number three, you're feeling like phenomenal. But as your number one, and he's going to start off the season as number one again, as as DJ Moore kind of figures this out. Ugh, I I, could, I mean it's definitely possible for this passing game to kind of trip up over itself, and with the offensive line issues, who knows? Like it, it's it's going to be awful. But enough about their offense. Let's go to the defensive side of the ball. Where the Panthers, like their secondary, I feel like this is one of the more underrated talking points of the offseason. Their secondary is going through a major, major overhaul where the only two guys returning that played at least 40% of the snaps are James Bradbury, the cornerback who they drafted in the second round a couple of years ago, and Mike Adams, who I think is going to be turning 65 a, a years old. A billion years old. Yeah, I was about to say Jesus, 65 years old. Dinosaur. Season. Uh, so, yeah, I. I and last year they were 20th in adjusting the yards per attempt value. I, I think they're about middle of the pack in terms of pass defense for DVOA. Uh, but where their strength is is up front. Uh, so, you know, Julius Peppers and Mario Addison both had 11 sacks last year. Julius Peppers is going to turn 38 this year, I want to say. And uh, he had 11 sacks last year. Kwan Short is a monster on the inside, one of the elite defensive tackles in the game. So even though their secondary isn't or, or wasn't you know too great last year they were still able to finish third in sack percentage value and fifth in tackle for loss percentage value so they did get a lot of penetration to create a lot of plays in the backfield but i think for their defense and we all know luke keekley thomas davis probably 
I mean, Luke Keekley is definitely a future Hall of Famer. Thomas Davis has a chance to be a future Hall of Famer as well. It's just kind of going to depend on these young guys in the secondary. They, they spent two picks on, on uh, defensive backs. Dante Jackson from LSU, a cornerback. He's probably going to start right away. He has, like, the size of a slot corner. I think he was, like, what, 175 pounds at the combine, but he only played outside He only played outside of LSU, so that's going to be a transition for him. And then they drafted Rashawn Golden from Tennessee, who, I mean, I'd be lying if I told you anything about him, but it looks like he's going to play. He, he, was, he, was a big, he was a big draft Twitter guy. Yeah, they, they projected him kind of like corner safety hybrid. Um, I will say this, though. Uh, it's something that I had to look up for one of the articles I wrote for Bleacher Report. Do you know uh, where they were for OTAs? Like what line on the depth chart they were? Uh, were they third string? Yeah, third string behind yeah. like uh, Ross Cockrell and like, yeah, just Kevin Seymour, guys like that, which like, okay. Yeah. Um, but like I, I yeah that's why I'm like uh, I'm not I'm not totally sure if like Dante Jackson is is going to be a week one starter like we think he should be right where it's like they they need someone they need someone to step up um, but if you're on the third line of the depth chart it's kind of a lot of uh, yeah but I, also that I, I mean I, that doesn't really tell me much because you got like Rivera and North Turner there who are just like old football guys like oh, gotta, <laughs> just the most old school guys ever you gotta like, work your way up. Him. Vernon Butler was a first-round pick in 2016, and he's still trying to work his way into the fucking defensive tackle rotation. Yeah. I mean, and also, we didn't talk about this. They signed Don Terry Poe, a three-year contract. Uh, I think he's better than Starlow Tulele, who they lost to Buffalo and, and just gave up. Like, Buffalo paid him, like, $60 million, which is just absurd. fucking absurd. Yeah. Absurd. That's just He's just, insane. he's not, I, I think he's a quality player, but to pay him that much, like, you're out of your mind. So, like. You should you should have just kept Darius. Right. Right. Uh, <laughs> like exactly. Like, I mean, we'll talk about the Bills when we get to AFC East. Just no no logic or decision-making involved in anything that they've done. But uh, with the Panthers, like, you upgraded and you saved a bunch of money on your defensive tackle two spot, and you still have Vernon Butler waiting in the wings, who, I don't know, like, I'm, I'm not ready to give up on him yet, even though he hasn't done much to date. But I think when he plays, he looks okay. Uh, and he'll, he'll, he'll sign somewhere else. On his second deal, I bet, because I don't think they're going to pick up that fifth-year option no. at all. Yeah, Based yeah, off yeah. of just, like, sh- short short and, and Poe, like, he's not really going to get, like, okay, you're a starter now when these guys are getting paid money. So I, th- I think Vernon Butler will be a guy who, like, kind of breaks out his second contract, which is, like, rare for a defensive tackle, but you really don't get buried as a first-round pick like he does. Did. Yeah. Uh, what's interesting with the Panthers, though, like, t- is – Shaq Thompson, their linebacker, they drafted in the first round a few years ago. I think it was 2015. He played more snaps than Captain Munderland, their third quarterback, cornerback did last year. So you have pretty much. Shaq and Thomas Tom- Davis is on suspension. Remember the first yeah, four weeks of the year, true, I think. So true. like he's going to have, he's going to be in a weird spot. Like the, the Panthers are going to be in a weird spot where they have to decide if they're going to keep playing a linebacker as basically a slot guy, like an overhang defender, right? Or if they're going to use these cornerbacks that they're not really invested in. Um, or, like, the, the I guess you would say, like, lower-tier veterans who, like, are, like, the second string of, like, their depth chart right now as, like, the slot corners coming in. I guess, like, the worst-case scenario, right, is, like, David Mayo ends up being, like, their slot linebacker. Like, the absolute worst-case scenario for the first four weeks of the year. Um Thomas Davis is going to change a lot for that team. It wouldn't surprise me if this team fell down like the first couple weeks of the year. Yeah. Uh, 
I, I just think like it's 2018. You know, like why are you playing with three linebackers on the field as like the vast majority of your snaps? Like that's kind of strange to Sha- me. Sha- Shaq Thompson played safety in college, buddy. <laughs> oh yeah, Didn't you know that? Right. Didn't you know that? That's right. So yeah, I guess they're going to what three safety. Or I guess if you want to look at it like that, yeah, sure. Three safety look well. Your one of your safeties is wearing fifty four. Uh, yeah, sure. There you go. <laughs> the the th- the thing is, other teams do it like a different way, where they're like teams teams will go basically like dime three safety, right? So like I think like Green Bay does that with when they had uh, Joe Thomas, that linebacker from South Carolina State. Oh, God, um, he was so bad. He's he's decent in coverage. He uh, don't don't let anyone get a body on him though uh by the way the packers drafted that linebacker out of vanderbilt he's the exact same fucking guy like you get a body on him and he's getting driven 10 yards off the ball but he could drop into coverage um baltimore kind of does the same thing with uh what's his, what's his name patrick i can't say his last name uh, owasu or something like that yeah he's from he uh portland state graduate by the way um where he's basically like he's a linebacker in quotes but he's like actually safety whereas like they use uh Thompson as a safety when he's like actually a linebacker, which is kind of like hustling backwards in some way, right? Yeah. Um. So I mean, I, I guess with the Panthers, you just kind of have to wait and see how that secondary turns out. I know we like we know the front seven's going to ball out again, uh, just because like they have so much talent in there. Well, I I guess the last thing that I would say is like Julius Peppers is going to be on a pitch count for sure. Like, yeah, we talk about Julius Peppers, but like one of those guys is going to have to like Wes Horton. Deshaun Hall, who I don't think we were pre- we were big fans of coming out last year, um, one of those guys is gonna have to step up big time because they're gonna be playing at least fifty percent of the snaps. Yeah, but the thing is, like if you watch Kawan Short, he opens up so much stuff like the rest of that defensive line to work. He's just so disruptive on a on the consistently disruptive on a snap to snap basis. So like if he if Kawan Short continues to play at the level he did last year, and Poe can pick up where he left off last year and and kind of get into rotation with Vernon Butler. Like, that interior is enough to, I, I guess, make life a lot easier on the defensive ends. But at some point, they're going to have to invest, like, a premium pick into a pass rusher. So I would imagine that be next year because, I, I mean, Mario Addison's not young. He's not young, and Julius Peppers is, is approaching 40. So they're going to have to invest a premium pick in there somewhere soon. So uh, win total. Panthers, what you got? Uh, eight. Push? I would say, like, if I had to pick one, I would pick under just because of how many close games that they won and, like, knowing the hit. So, basically, if you win, like, five more games within a single score than you lose in a season, on average, you drop four wins the next year. And this is, like, a trend that's happened over a decade. And the reverse is true, too, right? Like, if you lose a bunch of close games – you typically win more games the next year by four. By four, um, so on paper, like you would say, Carolina's probably like on average would be like a seven and nineteen, which is like the opposite of what Panthers fans want to hear right now because seven and nine is kind of viewed as like this purgatory where like you don't get a high draft pick, um, while also you don't get to make the fucking playoffs, right? Uh, so I, I guess like they're kind of in like that no man's land. Right, where like Cam and you know linebackers and defensive tackle can do just enough to keep this team competitive from like not looking like the 2017 Cleveland Browns, but they're not good enough to actually get them in the playoffs. Yeah, uh, I'm going to take the under just because 
there's a lot of uncertainty with both passing games, like on both sides of the ball, pass defense, pass offense. And that just kind of worries me with their chances to, I guess, proceed to, to the like, repeat as playoff uh, contenders. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the under. It, they, there's too much shuffling going on in the back end, and you'd have to have just a ton of outlier performances for that not to be, I guess, like one of the worst secondaries in the league this year. And then on, on the flip side, I just don't know how Cam and Norv are going to kind of mesh. And, like, if, if Norv... Like if Norv just scraps like the option stuff completely out of this offense, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be pretty ugly because I just don't think any of them can function in a spot where you're kind of taking away rushing opportunities from Cam Newton because he's he's by far their best offensive player. So I'm gonna take the under. Uh, I just don't really trust the people around this team and uh, just too much going on in the back seven. So yeah, next team, final team, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And, I mean, we got a ton of questions that are pretty much, are the Bucks back or are the Bucks going to be a team that actually lives up to their potential this year? I, I think at most you can say they probably, they shouldn't at least have, like, some of the ridiculous turnovers that they did last year. And their defensive line is going to be better than it was last year, without a doubt. I mean, they were 32nd in sack percentage value. Like, they were last by... A very very wide margin in terms of sack percentage value so uh it's gonna help for them to bring guys like jpp and vinnie curry and i i guess you know vita vea it, it can't hurt but outside of like that i don't i don't know how you feel good about the secondary at all yeah they got a lot of young guys right like two, two top 100 picks in mj stewart and carlton davis i don't think that they were cracking uh our good friend trevor sikama i think he was tweeting out through like otas i didn't think they cracked the first lineup, even as slot guys, so I'm not. Again, it's hard. It's hard to even project second rounders as like starters for sure, for sure, because we've seen, you know, those guys not start. Um, but there, so like even when you say like JPP and like Vita Vea and like Vinnie Curry, but like those guys aren't guys that you have to like, game plan around. You know what I mean? Right. Like they're nice complementary pieces. Like you game plan around like Joe McCoy, but at some point they're just investing money good after bad on guys that like don't have to be game planned around which like okay you're not you're not bad here but you're not good and you can only play so many guys on the field like you're only gonna have four defensive linemen on the field for 95 percent of the snaps anyway unless you're on the goal line so like they have so they paid they traded for jpp right they drafted vita Vey in the first round they paid vinnie curry they already paid william golson they paid bo allen this offseason they paid mitch unright this offseason they drafted uh, Noah Spence in the second round two years ago. Like their entire like two first lines of their depth chart on the defensive line is made up of guys who are getting like starting money or like assets spent on them. Like at at some point, this is going to hurt them, right? Yeah, I mean it has to. They're uh, just spending too much on a defensive line that you only have to scheme around for one single player, which like. I guess, man, if that's what you want to do. I mean, they're spending a ton of money on, like, offensive skill players, too, and I don't think their offensive line is, like, as bad as people would think because guys like Donovan Smith have, like, stepped up over the past year. But I don't know, man. You could have spent that money in better places, I feel like. Yeah, and with the Bucks, like, I just don't, I don't think the Vita Vea pick made much sense just because, like, you, 
you sign guys like Bo Allen, and he's going to bring you pretty much the same. At least year one, he's probably going to bring you the same amount of impact. So, and like like Vea isn't isn't Poe. Like I know a lot of people talk about like Vea pressures and stuff like that, but a lot of that's just bad Pac-12 offensive linemen. You know what I mean? Like yeah. a lot a lot of this stuff is just like and Vea was doing a bunch of tackle reads, right? Like a bunch of offensive line reads where he's not necessarily getting off the ball as fast as possible, trying to get in the backfield. That's just not who he is. As a defensive tackle, he's not a guy like David Onyemata. He's not a guy like uh, Kenny Clark, who's like a nose tackle body, who like kind of plays like a three tech. Like Vito Veo is clearly a three technique type of guy. Um, so I don't know. I know PFF tweeted this out one time, but they showed like the the correlation between like uh, three technique pass rushers and like six technique pass rushers in the NFL and like their stats, and it had like a super strong positive correlation. But their like nose tackle stats actually had like a negative correlation. Uh, a slight negative correlation, which like doesn't really surprise me because I feel like, in terms of like dominant nose tackles, right? Like the difference between what you can get away with in the college game and the NFL game is just totally different. Where like to be a penetrating nose tackle in the NFL, like there's probably like five of those guys in the world. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like Vea is kind of branded as that type of guy, but I just don't think that he's that guy at all. Like I feel like. Uh, as, as much as we talk about the inconsistency of Deron Payne, right, where he basically played like two quality games in his college career, I feel like there's a much higher chance of Deron Payne panning out as like a Don Terry Poe type of defensive tackle, uh, nose tackle, than Vita Vea. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, like with all of that, I, I it's kind of hard for me to get on board. Like this is finally the Bucks here just because I, I don't – I just I, I think they got better. I just don't know if they got – you know, like enough to compete with the Falcons and the Saints, like in terms of the top dog in the division. And I, I just really, I'm just not on board with this defense at all. I mean, yeah, they patched up some holes in the defensive line, but that's really it to me. Uh, so offense, Jameis Winston, their offense is kind of strange because if, if you just look at like the passing stats, they, they were fine in terms of like their passing production, but they just turned the ball over so much and, and I feel like a lot of that, like if you could just get Jameis Winston to think he doesn't have to be Superman, you know, like you can. You, you <laughs> There's could, definitely a couple of those plays. What was what was the national game? It was like a Thursday night game or Monday night game early on in the year where he just flung it like falling down, like his feet are literally in the air, just falling down and just threw across his body for like an awful pick. And then like he has sack fumbles because he holds on the ball too long too. He definitely thinks he has to be Superman, which like. When you're spending money on Deshaun Jackson, Mike Evans, Adam Humphreys broke out for you, but you have uh, Chris Godwin coming off the bench, who is a top 100 pick for you. OJ Howard was a first round pick. He's your number two tight end, and like Ronald Jones is now your running back. Like, you shouldn't have to have that like Superman mentality. You know what I mean? Like, you should be able to just like be able to quick game stuff a lot. Yeah, uh, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think of the game it was. Was it the Patriots game? It was on Thursday. It might night. have been. Yeah, that, that's was what that it Thursday. Was. Yeah, yeah I think like, I, I think I got done with coaching or something. Like, or no, I wasn't coaching last year. I can't remember what the hell I was doing. Uh, I definitely came. I definitely came home, and that was like the first thing I saw, and I was like, "Fuck this game." Yeah, I mean, they're running. Their running attack sucks, or sucked last year. It should be better this year, just because like I, I think, I think Ronald Jones is probably better than what they had last year. And oh, oh, for sure. Like the thing about like the running backs thing, right? Is like. 
who you have at running back doesn't matter for most of the time. It does when you're the Tampa Bay Buccaneers or like the Washington Redskins last year. Like they were just awful at, at running back. Yep. Uh, so that that's gonna help. Uh, if their offense should be fine, I think it's going to be functional, especially if they don't turn the ball over as much. Like They should have a, a top 10 passing offense. I mean, they are right on the cusp of it this year with all those turnovers still. Uh, so they can just turn the ball over less than they did and uh, get more production out of the running game. Like They'll be fine on offense. I just don't trust the defense. So I'm going to take the under for their, what was it, seven and a half wins? Yeah. All right. Um, I, w- I would probably too. I mean yeah. that's a, that's a low. Also, so let's say some nice things about the Bucks. Um, if they were in the AFC, they would probably be a wild card team, right? So yeah. we're talking about them. Like they're they're probably, you know, the fourth best team in the NFC South. We don't think that they can really compete with Atlanta or New Orleans, right? Um, but this also speaks to one the depth of the NFC, two the depth of the NFC South specifically, and three the lack of depth in the AFC. We're like Tampa. If you were like, yeah, they're the five seed in the AFC, it would be like. Yeah, probably. Like that makes sense. Yeah. Uh yeah, they just kinda they're stuck in a brutal division. I mean you can make the case that the NFC South is arguably the best division in football. So you know, it, it's gonna be a fun division to watch this year. I just don't know if Tampa Bay is up to snuff, especially on defense. So yeah, I'm gonna take the under. Which should answer most of the questions that we had about uh the Bucks, because almost all of them were asking if they were good this year. And we just gave you a pretty lengthy answer. So Let's just dive into mailback questions real quick. Uh, we actually hit on most of these from our pal Mac, Marxist Panther. How sad am I going to be about the Panthers this year? We hit on that. Free Cam Newton. Uh, this is from uh, my friend at Lax Nendrick on Twitter. Which of the three teams who made the playoffs last year have the greatest chance to miss the playoffs this upcoming season? Uh, um, Car- Carolina. Carolina. Would be one of them. Or Carolina. Um, I would say. I think he's talking about the NFC South. Oh, so, and wait, hold up. What? Oh, so, which? Okay. Because he had three teams. Okay. So which of the three teams would be least likely? Would be have, has the greatest chance to miss the playoffs? Panthers. Yeah. Yeah. Just and then. Then the Falcons. I and guess, the Saints, I think. Yeah, I would get. Yeah, I would guess Atlanta, just because the Saints, I think, are just a tick ahead in terms of talent. Yep. But. Uh, it, it's it's much closer between Atlanta and New Orleans than Carolina. So yeah, so uh, yeah, we're gonna go to Atlanta there. Uh, we already answered are the Bucks gonna be good? This is this next question is from in Abessential eighty three. Will Carolina's addition of <laughs> C J Anderson and Tory Smith be enough for them to win on O? Will the ages of Mike Thomas, Thomas Davis, and Julius Peppers start to show, and the D has enough talent to uh, overcome a potential drop off? Look, man, Julius Peppers is going to be 38. I think Mike Mike Adams is probably going to be 36 during the season, I want to say. And then Thomas Davis. Thomas Davis is interesting because he's just been balling out. I, I don't want to bet against that dude just because... No, he's he's overcome three ACL, ACL tears, dude. Yeah. Like, I, I, I have no faith of him ever falling down to expectations. I'm going to need to see it before I believe it. So also I, it's like him and Sean Lee where I'm just like, Sean Lee's going to get fucked up. And then like, he's just going to bounce back and be the best, you know, Mike linebacker in the league again. Yeah. Just, just one of the guys I'm not going to doubt. So I'm, I'm not in on getting betting against TE, but Mike Adams actually undershot his age. He's about to, he just turned 37 in March. So you got two, two 37 year olds, being major contributors on your defense, yeah, I mean that could absolutely fall off a cliff any second during the season. So, uh, I don't know if it will, but it absolutely could. 
And will the will Carolina's I'll, additions? I was gonna say, I was gonna say, I want to address the CJ Anderson. Yeah, yeah. So let's go back up. to the, the, the answer is no, 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 no. <laughs> will Carolina's additions to CJ Anderson, Tory Smith, be enough from the win on the offense? Nope. Next question. Uh, from David Gamble, one fourteen. What are some of the changes that you guys might expect to see the Panthers' offense with the addition of North Turner? I'm not sure, just because he's never had a quarterback like Cam Newton. I mean, Philip Rivers and Cam Newton are just so starkly different. Uh, but I really just want to see if they keep the read option stuff in there because I don't think Norvis ever run an offense with it or a quarterback that could run it. So that, or, you know, they did run some stuff with Teddy actually in 2014 with the Vikings. Uh, but I'm just, I'm just kind of like scared. Like if they just take that out because that's such a big like key of what they do on offense. So yeah, that's really what I'm looking for. I don't really have that much more to add. Like, I, I think they should lean into the option, but I think that they're going to lean out of it. So, I don't know. Ex- expectations and what sh- things, sh- like, what should happen can be different things sometimes. Yep. Uh, so, next question is actually kind of funny. Uh, at Vienna Falcons, among the NFC South moves, which one is the best? Saints trading a future first to beat Matt Khalil. Bucks drafting a two-down defensive tackle with the ninth overall pick. Uh, or, I don't know if it was the ninth pick, but wherever they drafted, because they, they, they traded down. Uh, Panthers drafting... A I think bet- it was like 13. Yeah. Fake news. Uh, Panthers drafting a better version of their second-round pick last year to bury him on the depth chart. Or Falcons drafting a reason for Julio to hold out. So which one of these is the best? Saints trading future first to be Matt Khalil. Bucks drafting a two-down DT. Panthers drafting a better version of the second round pick last year to bury him on the depth chart. Falcons drafted a reason for Julio to hold out. I'm going to go with this. I, I think it's Julio, right? No. Yeah, I was going to go with the Because the thing is, he could, he could actually play and like pay Julio. Like, fuck it. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with the Saints just because he traded future first from for a defensive run from UTSA. Like, fuck out of here. Uh, yes. Wait, are we, are, we, are we doing best or worst? No, the, which, which, I guess the worst. Like okay, because I thought it was—I thought I thought it was the best. Oh, which one's funnier? Yeah, because I mean these. No, I don't no know. I th- I still think it's the Vale one, man. Because I wouldn't take a defensive tackle like that, like in the first two rounds. I think. Yeah, I, I I'm I'm with you. I, no, like that's you know that's just that's just a, that's just a body that I just like would not take. Like, what's what's the upside of Vita Vea right now? Who's who's the guy that you're like? Because I don't think he's like snacks, right? So then we're talking about a non-penetrating guy. I don't think he could be a guy like Linval Joseph. I think all the penetrating guys, like, you can kind of rule them off. The guys I already listed, like, you know, Poe, Kenny, Cl- uh, Kenny Clark, Onyemata, guys like that who are making a difference. Well, he's, so we're talking – his peak? Yeah, at his peak. Like, if everything like, pans out for him? I mean, he's, he's a freak, though. Have you seen that on the field? Just, like, on fringe plays to the sideline. Occasionally. Right, right, but it's not get off. Like, okay, so like in the NFL, this is what I'm talking about. Where like the difference between no tackle in the NFL and no tackle in college is like very different. Like everything in the NFL is basically predicated off of like your get off, right? I haven't really seen that from Vita Vea, so I'm very skeptical in him really doing that at the NFL level. Like he's gonna be like, so if he's an average defensive tackle or no, average nose tackle, those guys you can buy, you know, in free agency at any point. And you spent, you know, a pick in the teens for him. I feel like that's pretty fucking silly, honestly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think that's all we got for.
before this episode of the Edge. We we went pretty long, so we'll just cut it off now. Uh, so we back at some point with our AFC West and NFC West uh, previews. Five stars on iTunes. Subscribe. You know the deal. All right. Adios. <laughs>